we created this group at the request of our students, which is something that's very important right now during this time. We're learning right now what it is to have Pitajon and our creator from Jobos Alavavos in the fourth gate, which is Sha'ara Pitajon. Also uh, teachings and learnings from the um, Beis HaLevi on what it is to have Pitajon. And this lesson, this goes hand in hand, this teaching, what we're about to be learning and going into the path of understanding exactly how we should be loving every single Jew like we love ourselves. Aside from the fact that it's a commandment in our Torah to have bitahon in Kadosh Baruch Hu, it's a commandment to love our fellow Jew like we love ourselves. Why? Because we cannot love and we cannot have bitahon in Hashem if we don't love each other. You, do you get that? We, how can you trust God? How can you have bitahon in Hashem if you can't at a simple level Love his children. Love Klal Israel, Because Klal Israel is part of Hashem. And by learning who your God is, you're getting to trust Hashem. By learning who your God is, you will eventually go up the ladder and what it is to have Bitahon and Kadosh Baruch Hu. But in going up that ladder, one can even say words like, I love Hashem, unless you first love his children. And we're starting to get to know Hashem in a way that's going to enable us to love him. But we can't even get to love Hashem until we love his children. Why? Because Klad Israel is part of Kadosh Baruch Hu. Klad Israel is the reason why the world was created, so that we can observe the Torah that Hashem himself gave to us here in this world. So that being said, we're going to now go into an open door here where we're going to travel on the path on what it is and how we can understand and how to learn how we can love Klal Israel or love your fellow Jew as you love yourself. So I'm going to give everyone an introduction to us going into this teaching and so and this learning. So so I want everyone to pay attention because this is going to basically set the whole present of this whole course on how we're going to get to allow us and teach ourselves how to love every single Jew in Cloud Israel. It's a tough exercise and it's not easy for us to do, but we're going to do it. We're going to get there. We're all going to get there together as one because we are one unit. So with that being said, let me talk to you and give you an overview uh, bring, brought down by the Beis HaLevi on Ahavas Israel. So, uh, in the waning years of, of Tsarist Russia, the notorious Bela's trial shocked the Jewish world. A Jewish handyman, Mendel Belus, was falsely accused of murdering a Russian child to use his blood for baking matzot. It was a revival of the blood libels that most people thought were gone forever. It will be the catalyst to broadcast all the vicious anti-Semitic accusations that had engendered so many pogroms and persecutions in the previous centuries. The Gera Rebbe, Rabbi Abraham Mordechai Alter summoned many brilliant Torah scholars and assigned them to formulate responses to the anticipated accusations. To Rav Mir Shapiro, the Gera Rebbe assigned to the Talmud's interpretation of the verse that says of Israel, you, the Jewish people, are considered an Adam, literally human, a human, in contradistinction to an animal, as we see in Yehezekiel. 
34. Meaning that Jews are held to a higher standard and should not act like beasts. The sages see a deeper lesson in the verse. They expound that Jews are regarded as Adam, but non-Jews are not. Obviously, this dictum is grist for anti-Semites. If non-Jews are not Adam, that means that Jews regard non-Jews as subhuman, and that explains why someone like Mendel Belus had no qualms in killing a subhuman child. Rav Shapiro was charged with formulating the correct response to such an accusation, which he did ingenuously. So Rav Shapiro explained that the word Adam is in the singular and it has no plural, meaning that all Jews, wherever they are, are like organs of a single person, not separate, unrelated individuals. When a Jew in Russia is falsely accused of murder and put on trial that can cost him his life, Jews living in security thousands of miles away share his pain whatever their citizenship is when a man breaks his leg the whole body suffers when Mendel Belus is threatened with death every Jew stands on the dock with him anti-semites everywhere will say that all Jews are evil and potential murderers that's not true of other nationalities if a prosecutor in New York accuses an Italian of racketeering Italy doesn't shudder Spaniards are not accused of dual loyalty, only Jews. But if a Jew is accused of murder, all Jews quake. No, non-Jews are not subhuman. They, like Jews, are Hashem's handiwork, but they are all individual, separate entities, even when sharing the same abode. Only we are one indivisible Adam, even when separated by oceans and borders. This is the inner meaning of the commandment to love our fellow Jews like ourselves. They're not merely fellow citizens, but fellow organs of an entity called Israel. So beginning with this definition of our identity, now let's let's delve into the commandment of, of love your fellow Jew as you love yourself, which is found in the book of, in, the, in our Torah, Humash Bayikra. What is the nature of this love and how must one express it? How does one acquire it? So let's dig and let's go and let's let's discover. Sin is not a private matter, contrary to the prevalent insistence that what I do with my life is none of your business. <laughs> and misdeeds have a corrosive effect on others, and if they are pervasive enough, they harm society as a whole. There's a rapidly diminishing number of countries where honesty is so ingrained in the inhabit that the inhabitants don't lock their, their cars or their homes at night. In those countries, the general society considers theft to be so unacceptable and abhorrent, it is unthinkable to burglar and unlock property and a wallet or purse left on a bus is immediately given to the driver who sees to it that it is returned to its owner. So many years ago, a struggling fellow, Kolel fellow with a growing family, managed to save and borrow enough money to buy a modest house, including some of the furnishings. His children were jumping on the bed in a favorite activity, which is a favorite activity of energetic youngsters. They found a package of money and valuables. Obviously, the previous owner had forgotten about it or couldn't remember where she had hidden it. The new owner returned it to the shocked and joyous surprise of its owner, who never expected to see the hoard again. That Kolel younger man needed the money, but he had a greater need to do what a Jew is expected to do. Rabbi Moshe Feinstein Shalom assured him that he would not lose out, and today he is wealthy and one of the major philanthropists in the Jewish world. In modern times, nearly everyone would agree that murder is in, 
unconscionable, but unfortunately it's not uncommon. However, some sins are universally regarded as so detestable that no one would even think of committing them. For example, child sacrifice is unheard of today because there is a universal agreement that is beyond the pale, even though pagan societies in biblical times practiced it. When society as a whole agrees that something is deplorable, it's not done. Conversely, when something is commonly done, even by a small minority, it may be an indication that the masses agree it is wrong, but are not sufficiently appalled by it. So the Ibn Ezra uses this concept to explain the 10th commandment in Shemot. We see it there that one should not covet another's wife or property. So on the surface, this seems inexplicable. Isn't it normal for someone to be jealous, to envy, to wish he had the best things in life? Isn't it normal for someone with a gas-guzzling old jalopy to wish he could have his neighbor's luxury car? So the Ibn Ezra offers the analogy of a simple farmer wishing to marry. He may long to wed the young girl on the next farm, but he doesn't even imagine that he could marry the country's princess. So she is so unapproachable that he doesn't even fantasize about her. This should be our attitude towards the family or property of a fellow Jew. What he has is what Hashem has given him. If Hashem wanted us to have it, he would have given it to us. If we would have proper bitahon in Hashem, we realize that our neighbor's spouse and assets are as inappropriate for us as a princess of wealth of outer Mongolian billionaire. So why covet the unreachable? So in an incident in Sefer Yeshua, it can be best, it can be understood thanks to the Ibn Ezra explanation of the commandment not to covet, that when the Jews entered Eretz Israel, they conquered and destroyed the city of Jericho. Yehoshua decreed that the valuables of the city should be consecrated and brought to the treasury of Hashem. And he warned that if anyone were to loot any of the sacred property, it would bring destruction upon the Jewish nation. We see this in Yehoshua. So one person, Achan ben Karmi, could not resist the temptation. He took some of the consecrated valuables and indeed he brought destruction upon Israel. They were routed in the battle of Ai and suffered casualties. Yehoshua appealed to Hashem to understand this calamity. How to come the Jews who expected to be granted the land and now had suffered defeat? Hashem responded harshly. This is what Hashem said. And he answered, Israel has sinned. They have also violated my covenant that I commanded them. They have also taken from the consecrated property. They have also stolen. They have also denied. They have also placed it in their vessels. The children of Israel will not be able to stand before their enemies. They will turn back on of their necks to their enemies because they have become worthy of destruction. I will not continue to be with you if you do not destroy that transgressor from your midst. So here we see one person, Achan ben Karmi, had sinned, but Hashem spoke in the plural, as if accusing the entire nation of participating in this sin. And if one man's weakness was serious enough to deem the entire nation guilty, how are we to understand this blanket divine condemnation? So drawing on Ibn Ezra in Mektav Me'eliyahu explains that Achan's sin was possible only because the entire nation did not take Yehoshua's warning seriously enough. Had they fully accepted the gravity of his decree, it would have been inconceivable for anyone, 
even a single person to violate it. So in the Ten Commandments, the prohibition to steal is expressed in the singular. But in Parashat Kedoshim, it's expressed in the plural. Lo dignovu. It is addressed in plural to the entire nation, implying that everyone must be cautioned not to steal. Rab Shamshon, Raphael Hirsch, comments that this surely does not mean that every Jew is suspected of thievery. We're not a nation of thieves. Rather, it refers to the sort of nuanced thief and the dishonesty of looking for loopholes. Listen to these guys or slipping one-sided language into a contract. Practices that skirt the parameters of theft. In other words, the verse alludes to conduct that can easily be woven into daily business or social relationships. If such conduct becomes commonplace, it also becomes acceptable. And it undermines the ethics and morals of the entire society. This statement should not surprise anyone in the modern world. So the above background that we just talked about can help us understand and perform the commandment to love our fellow Jews. You shall love your fellow Jew as you love yourself. I am Hashem. That's what it says in Baikra 19. Rashi quotes Rabbi Akiva that this commandment is a primary rule of the Torah. The sages understand this commandment broadly and must be applied even to a heinous criminal who was put to death. A very, a very rarely imposed penalty the court is required to execute him as painlessly as possible we see this in Sun 145 so a husband and wife should avoid interactions that could lead one to feel abhorrence for the other because this would be a violation of the commandment to love fellow jews found in kedushin 41a and also in nida the verse concludes i am hashem as if to say, I created all of you. So by loving them, you are demonstrating your love for your creator. Do we get that, guys? You see the connection? So according to the Rambam, this commandment is meant literally. Hashem commands us to love others as much as we love ourselves. In the familiar analogy, if someone holding a knife inadvertently cuts his left hand, and the left hand does not retaliate by cutting his right hand, so both hands are part of the same body. So two old Jews are part of the same Adam. And we should love one another equally. We're also likened to a group of people on a boat. A passenger would not be permitted to drill a hole under his seat because he paid for his ticket. We're all in the same boat, guys. And the actions of one of us impact on us all. In the same way, we should recognize that we and our fellow Jews are so much part so much part of a single unit that we should love every other Jew as much as our right hand loves our left. The Ramban disagrees. He contends that the verse cannot be taken literally for it's impossible for someone to love everyone as much as he loves himself. And the Torah does not command the impossible. Furthermore, in a case where two people are in a desert and only one has enough water to survive, Rabbi Akiva rules that self-preservation comes first and the one in possession of the water should not share it. Your life is a priority. The same Rabbi Akiva who lauds his commandment as the primary principle of Judaism rules that one's own well-being takes precedence over his friends. So then what does the Torah require? So the Ramban explains that the commandment is indeed a challenge to human nature, but it is one that can be fulfilled. It's normal for someone to want to be superior to others. 
I would like him to be successful, but I want more success to be more successful. I want him to be recognized as a tummy hacham, but I want to be honored as much greater tummy hacham. I want him to have a nice house, but mine should be nicer. I want his children to get 90s on every test, but mine should get 100s. So this normal attitude to the Torah response, no, you should wish the same success for your neighbors as you wish for yourself. And if you should help him obtain it, do you understand? We should even go and help him attain it. So in other words, whatever you wish for yourself, you should wish for every Jew. His good fortune is not impinged on yours. But as Rabbi Akiva rules in a situation where it's either you or him, he is competing with you and only one of you can prevail. As in the case of two people in the desert with enough water for only one. So you are not required to give priority to your fellow's interest. But the Ramban supports his interpretation for the wording of the commandment. If it's meant that one should literally love his fellow Jew, the Torah would have said, Vehavata es reha'acha which is how the Torah expresses the commandment to love Hashem. And Devarim, we see that. That would mean a love that is emotional and absolute. Instead, the Torah says, to love your fellow Jew. The prefix to implies giving him something tangible rather than a personal emotional feeling of love. This supports Ramban's interpretation that we are commanded to actively advance and foster someone else's opportunities as just as we do our own. So even according to the Ramban's interpretation, the mitzvah is not easy. It's a difficult challenge, guys, but it can be done. In the business world, one's Rolodex or list of clients, suppliers is precious, right? And private. But every very righteous Jews have been known to share their list with newcomers and competitors. They believe and they know that Parnassa livelihood is in the hands of Hashem. What was decreed for me on Rosh Hashanah will come to me, even if I help my fellow Jews. His success is not going to come at my expense. So why wouldn't I earn the mitzvah of helping him? So how does one arise to such an unselfish level of conduct? <coughs> the, best, the mitzvah of Havas Israel to love fellow Jews is found in Parashat Kedoshim which is introduced by Hashem instructing Moshe, speak to the entire assembly of the children of Israel. <laughs> Rashi quotes Torah's Kohanim, comments that the entire nation had to gather together to hear this parasha because it contains so many essential principles of the Torah. What are these principles? Commentators note that most of the parasha deals with interpersonal relationships rather than so-called ritual. For example, in Kedoshim, the Torah enjoins us to be honest in our business dealings, not to cheat, mislead, or lie, not to take advantage of the gullible, to be generous, and the like. A series of interpersonal commandments precedes the mitzvah to love fellow Jews. Rav Eli Monk notes, he puts it here in the call of the Torah, notes on these verses, is this is a series of prohibited commandments whose observance will lead to the ultimate ideal, love of one's fellow man. In order to blossom and thrive, this moral sensitivity must go through a lengthy psychological development, beginning with respect for another's personality, dignity, honor, and property. These laws are part of an arduous training that will one day enable love to express itself positively. The ultimate goal lies in the infinite richness that love offers in bringing happiness to others. The prohibition against inflicting injury on one's fellow man and the duty to respect his personality can rightfully be demanded from every human being no matter what his relations and feelings are towards other members of the society 
So Rob Monk's latter point, latter point that it can be demanded of everyone not to do harm to others. It's the key to Hillel's capsule introduction to what the Torah demands of every person to a would-be convert who wanted to be taught the entire Torah while standing on one foot. Hillel responded, what is hateful to you, do not do to your fellow. This is the essence of the Torah. To know the rest, go and learn. And Hillel understood that the questioner was not yet capable of loving his fellow in a positive, giving, unselfish way, either according to Ramban's or Ramban's understanding of the mitzvah. So the renowned Tana gave him the dictum he could understand. This is reminiscent of a principle expounded at length by Rabbi Eliyahu Dessler in his classic Miktav Meliyahu. There are two character traits, guys, Nesina and Netila. Giving and taking. Some people are givers and others are takers. Some people, too few, live to give and to help others live for themselves. Others are for themselves concerned only with what will benefit them. In commanding us to love others, the Torah urgently, urgently, us to be givers. Hillel understood that his inquisitor may have been sincere, but he was a taker and could understand that only that it is wrong and unwise to mistreat others because they would retaliate by treating him the same way. But Hillel also urged him to learn and to understand that there is more to life than self-preservation. If he was truly sincere in learning what the Torah wants us to be, he would learn and come to understand that the goal of a Jew is to give, build, and benefit others. The series of verses leading up to the mitzvah to love others built on this concept, guys. They command us to help others and avoid anything that could harden them. A person who takes on these mitzvahs seriously and acts upon them will condition himself to become a giver and it is human nature that when someone is generous with another and is concerned with for his welfare he will come to love that person <clears throat> based on the above that we just discussed Sefas Emes in Kedoshim offers a new insight into the commandment to be holy at the beginning of Parashah Kedoshim and the commandment to love fellow Jews two, the two are related he says that included in these commandments is a prophetic assurance if you sanctify yourself by fulfilling the Torah commands to be honest, helpful, charitable, in other words, to do everything you can to help and not to harm, you will come to love others. This why it's as noted above, Hashem commanded Moshe to pronounce the mitzvot of this parashah in the presence of the entire nation. The key to Jewish holiness is for the entire nation to be unified in honoring and helping one another. When there is unity, there can be holiness. When there is factionalism and strife, the nation is dragged down. This does not mean that there, there cannot be disagreements. <clears throat> People can always disagree about issues or about scripture or halachic interpretation or about politics that's fine the Talmud is replete with disputes between Rabbi Yohanan and Reish Lakish between Rava and Abaye and so on such debate is the road to truth for the disputants respected and loved one another but a, a young man once came to Rav Shlomo Zaman Arbach and said that he and his wife were constantly arguing and he felt that they should get divorced Rav Shlomo Zaman said it's normal for couples to disagree about things and even to argue the young man countered but when the Rav eulogized his late wife he said that although the custom is for the living to beg forgiveness from the departed he has nothing to wish to forgive to apologize obviously the Rav and the Rebetzin never argued and Rav Zalman, Shlomo Zalman said, of course we had disagreements. That's perfectly normal. Two people see things differently and have conflicting ideas of what to do. We argued about issues, but it was never personal. Unity is not healthy. 
for a family and society. It's not only healthy for a family and society, it also makes people worthy of Hashem's protection. We are learning this now. The first Bet Amidash was destroyed because of three cardinal sins, guys, idolatry, immorality, and bloodshed. However, in the time of the second Bet Amidash, the people were very righteous. Why was it destroyed? Why? The Talmud answers that it was destroyed because of Sinachinam, baseless hatred. This passage seemed to imply that baseless hatred is a greater sin than all the three cardinal sins combined. Not so, says the Sefas Emes. If this were true, how could the Talmud refer to the people as very righteous? The fact is that on the scales of sin, the cardinal sins are worse than baseless hatred, but the effects of strife is of a different nature. The merit of the entire unified nation is greater than the merit of any individual. So one of Hashem's 13 attributes of mercy is Erek Apayim. Hashem is patient and withholds His wrath. This is particularly, especially so if there's a spirit of community of people concerned with and helping one another, but not, not guys if the community is torn apart by anger, strife, and hatred. Once the nation was given, was riven by basis hatred, Hashem withdrew his protection and left the nation to the brutality of the Roman Empire. And Israel was not shielded from destruction and exile. Guys, pay attention to this because this is us now. This is relevant to us right now, guys. The sages and Yushalayimi offer an electrifying illustration of this rule. David Amalek was one of the greatest and most righteous people in our history. But during reign, there were instances when battles were lost and his army suffered casualties. King Ahab was the opposite. He was one of the most wicked kings and he dragged the ten tribes into idolatry. But he was victorious in war and did not suffer casualties. Why the difference between David Amalek and Ahab? Because in David's time, there was malicious gossip. But in Hahab's monarchy, there was unity and brotherhood. So there was divine protection. Do you see this, guys? How even the wicked get divine protection and even the righteous won't get it because if we don't respect each other and we don't have unity, we don't have Hashem protecting us. It, it's simple. It's not complicated. So in discussing this phenomenon, the Messiah Chokmah, and Shemos applies it to his own time. His Sefer was published in 1926. We don't know when he wrote the following comment, but it was prescient, if not prophetic. He writes in that contemporary times, in contemporary times, Shabbat, Shabbat desecration was spreading and there were Jewish movements that Khalila preached disobedience to the Torah. If the people were at peace with one another despite their sharp disagreements, Hashem would withhold His wrath. But there was also increasing disunity and strive among us as in the time of the second Bet HaMikdash. And that can foreshadow national tragedy. History bears out His fear. The Holocaust came soon after. As a great Torah leader commented, the Holocaust, Mesek Chokmah's words, bring to mind the statement of the sages and Baba Basra, a wise man is superior to a prophet and we could see that also in this time how much disunity did Israel have between the left and the right and the this and the that and the war all that disunity what do you think guys we it's a message from from Hashem we have to get our act together love each other be in union have a dude build the strength build merit so we can uh, we can receive divine protection and Hashem will fight our wars so the verse with the mitzvah to love our fellow Jews ends with the words Ani Hashem Ani Hashem, I am Hashem, implying that there's a connection between Hashem and our love of others.
others. We can understand this based on the comment of the Baal Shem Tov in Tehillim 121. The psalmist says, Hashem is your protector. However, the Baal Shem Tov notes that it can also be rendered, Hashem is your shadow. Just as a shadow mimics a, per a person's movements, so too Hashem acts towards us the way we act towards others. Thus, when Jews are kind to one another, Hashem is kind to us. When there's a baseless hatred going amongst us, as in the time of the second Bekta Midash, and as Masek Chokmah saw in his time, Hashem withdraws from us and leaves us defenseless. Hash Shalom. There's another element in the justification of the commandment to love one fellows, love one fellow in the name of Hashem. A Jew who was guilty of idolatry or blasphemy was liable to put to a death penalty. And the Torah commands that after the execution is carried out, is, is carried out the corpse of one of the guilty of these sins should not be hanged, but not remain on the gallows overnight. Therefore, the practice of the courts was to hang the body shortly before nightfall and then take it down and bury it almost immediately because hanging a person is a curse of God, as it says in Devarim. So Rashi explains that since a human being is created in the image of Hashem and Hashem calls the Jewish people his own children, as it were, the hanging body is disparaging to Hashem himself. It can be likened to a bandit who is the twin brother of a king and is hanged for his crime. People who see the body will think it's the king who has been executed. So the Ramban adds that as the home of a godly soul, the Jewish body becomes holy. So that it is degrading to allow the body to hang in disgrace. So even if the dead body of an adulterer or a blasphemer is holy and must be treated with respect because of its godly soul and because Jews are Hashem's children. How much more? So must we honor the living Jews who are free from such grievous sins. That's why love for Hashem's children is associated with recognition that I am Hashem, Ani Hashem. So to one who believes that Hashem is the creator, it should be clear, crystal clear, that one should love and respect his human children, the host of the godly soul with which he endowed them. Failure, guys, failure to do so indicates not only disdain for his fellows, but a lack of reverence for the one who created them. Love your neighbor. Make him a part of yourself. Do not do unto others what is hateful to you. Let us remember that we all originate from one father, that we are all organs of the same body, and that when we are united, we become deserving of Hashem's protection. Guys, this is the most powerful thing we have to know. In today's time, with everything that's happening right now, I'm telling you right now, now, the most important thing to do is have Akdut. It's so important for us not to talk negatively about any Jew whatsoever. Because when a Jew, when a Jew does that to another Jew, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what they're doing is wrong. It doesn't matter if what you think they're doing is wrong. It doesn't matter what you think. Just love them. And if you can't do that, if you can't say something positive, don't say anything at all. Keep the mouth closed, shut, zilch. Do not say anything. Because anything a person says against a fellow Jew, a Jew is weighed upon all of Klad Israel. So look at what you have on your hand. Look at what a person can have on his hands. The fate of all of Klad Israel. I don't want that responsibility. I want the responsibility of seeing us in Agdut and going through and walking and, and, and singing and chanting, going to the Bet Dash together. I want to sit back, grab a, a, a bag of popcorn and watch Hashem fight our wars for us because that's what He is going to do 
but he can only do that if we have the merits and he can only do that if we are in adult and being an adult means that we have because if we really trust Hashem then we also know that everyone everyone in our life and everything that's happening and everything was going on is only from Hashem himself so even if you see something that doesn't seem to be so good per se that too is also from Hashem so one of the things of the second temple where it was destroyed Yaakov Hillel states this very clearly is that at the end at the bottom line of it was lack of bitahon and because when a person has true bitahon he won't have baseless hatred he won't be criticizing others he won't go to the lowest level of speech which is to do Lashon Ara even if the information is accurate don't say anything silence is life we learn that many many times keep the mouth closed be be judged favorably don't say anything negative about anyone in cloud israel please god don't do that especially not now we need to be in Agdu. we need to be in unity we need to help each other we are responsible for each other we are all responsible for each one of us as it said in gan eden when when adam had shown with 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 um abel and cain when hashem said are you responsible he asked he asked Hashem, are you responsible? Am I responsible for my brother? And Hashem answered, yes, you are. You are responsible for your brother. So if we unite. And as you can see by 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 by, by David Amalek, that what enabled that evil Rasha to, to win the war was the fact that they were in Agdut. They were in Agdut, guys. They held together. They were together in unity. And we can do that. We too, because we're one. We love Hashem. Shema Israel. Hashem Eloheinu. Hashem Echad says everything. This is who we are. So let's start to really live this way. And what are we going to do? We're going to end each of these lessons with something that we're going to do practical. I want you to think of someone that maybe, maybe you may have some type of tinus on or some type of grudge or some type of not so happy. And I want you to really work hard today and finding the light of Hashem in that person because that person too is a messenger of Kadosh Baruch Hu himself. Because that message too, that person it was only a messenger or tool that Hashem uses. And for those of you that are not in the Shahada Bita Home group, okay, I suggest that you reach out to me or maybe I'll post a link in this group for you to join because this goes hand in hand with Bita Home. Because once a person has bitahon, you can only love every Jew. Because you know everyone is part of Hashem. And Hashem is running the world the way He knows He needs to run it. It's cause and effect, guys. Cause and effect. So, take it upon yourself. This is a practical end all for this lesson is... Find someone in your heart that maybe you hold a grudge and maybe you weren't so happy with or maybe there's something there, something there. I know we don't have any, but let's say someone does. Someone has a misunderstanding or whatever and look at that person and look at the light. Look for the light. Look for the goodness in the person. See the goodness that this person has. I, I promise you that there has to be good in every Jew and I want you to be able to find them and if you can't find it, I want you to talk to Hashem and ask Hashem to show you what the light of this person, to show you the goodness in this person, to reveal it to you so that you can open your heart and whatever we ask Hashem to do in terms of getting closer to him or to his children or becoming one with his children which is becoming one with him you can't be one with Hashem unless you're one with a cloud it's just it doesn't work that way it's it, it's it's like polar opposite you can't expect to attach yourself that way no way in the world okay so what I'm saying to you is ask Hashem to show you the clarity and Hashem will show you because when you talk to Hashem and you ask him for guidance he will give you the answer you will understand what that answer is and you will see it and so 
so Bezat Hashem will continue with these lessons and I'm excited at getting you know, on this path of what it is to love each other. I love all of you. I love all of you. I love my family. It's the best family in the whole wide world. Klat Israel is the best and we're all here to carry each other, to be with each other and rejoice with each other no matter where we're holding. Everyone has a different process than we, than, than, than we do and not one sin is better than the other. Guess what? It's not. We're all in this together guys, all of us. So Bezat Hashem, start to find the goodness in everyone. Take it upon yourself today to just go one person or something that comes to mind. Find the goodness in that person and tomorrow get ready for the next lesson.